This is Tiger Woods, and welcome to another golf podcast presented by Bridgestone. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode on another golf podcast. Um, I'm Adam Rayberg, and I'm happy to welcome back Amelia Miliacho. Thanks, Adam. It's great to be back. We talked with Tiger a couple weeks ago, which was iconic and so much fun. We learned a lot of great stuff and just had a overall awesome week a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. We were down at the Cape Club of Palm City and we had an amazing shoot. We had all the guys out. The course was absolutely beautiful. The staff there was amazing. They gave us the course for pretty much the whole day. And so we were just so happy with the way everything turned out. Um, Obviously, episode one of another golf podcast had Tiger, and he was amazing. He was super candid in his responses and gave us some really good, um, a really great interview. So it was very, very awesome to have him. And we had so many good things also going on throughout the day. Um, Amelia, tell us a little bit about your day. Yeah, I mean... I'm not going to give too much away, but we (laughs) recorded some commercial shoots. That was really funny to see some of the players do things that are outside of their comfort zone a little, maybe things they're not used to doing, like, you know, grabbing a ball out of the water with a ball retriever. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Washing a cart. Exactly. Washing the cart. But it was awesome. I, I hit one drive. That was my job with the commercial shoot. Matt Kuchar watched me hit it. There was water left, but I managed to keep it in the fairway. So was pretty happy about that. His job was to high five us no matter where we hit the ball. <laughs> so luckily his his uh, great job reaction was more genuine than maybe if it wasn't actually a good shot. But it was it was an awesome day. The players are just wonderful to be around. They're really kind and friendly and and talk to everyone so it was just a great a great day overall but let's get into some of the things that have happened in golf obviously the pnc was so much fun to watch headlines if you didn't really follow it were flooded with tiger and charlie i mean the two of them together are just one of a kind yeah it's really fun seeing Tiger's face light up and smile when Charlie hits great shots and when those guys make putts and it was so cool especially even after during the interview time when they were kind of up there together and you know Tiger was kind of grinning from ear to ear as Charlie gave his responses and acted like a a veteran actually during the interview process so it was fun seeing them hit shots and I mean it's always amazing seeing Tiger play and he played really well. He hit some really good shots, and he looked um, looked really good on some of the shots he was hitting. Some of the wedge shots that he was nipping and having spin back to the hole, and his uh, trajectory and iron control was really kind of peaking there. And that's what he said, too. He said he's hitting the ball really well when we last talked to him. It w- it's just the walking right. that you know was going to be a little difficult, but they were in carts, so that wasn't going to be a problem. But yeah, it was it was really cool to see him hit just shots that were you know in tiger shots that we're used to seeing and (laughs) uh, having charlie uh you know follow follow suit with that and 
some of my favorite highlights from the week was were when there would be kind of a, a clip of Charlie and a clip of Tiger. I saw one from the 2009 President's Cup, a fist bump that Tiger did, and then a fist bump that Charlie did. And it was basically the same exact motion. So just their mannerisms are almost identical, which I just find really cool. I feel father-son, parent-child, there's mannerisms you don't realize individually and then when you see yourself on a screen you're like oh yeah we are we're we're related yeah even like the the pre-shot routine and you know the the reaction to the putt going in the hole it's it's cool seeing those mannerisms that mimic each other and and another team that played in it um was matt kuchar um played with his son carson and they they shot a nice little 10 under on sunday and finished up fairly well to the top so it was it was good seeing matt out there with carson he's played with cameron before and they've actually played really good so he's playing with his younger son Carson and they had a good week and uh, Cameron was on the bag and Kuchar's dad was on the bag so they had the whole family out there as a foursome kind of walking around so it was it was cool to see them playing as well. Yeah I talked to Kuchar at the commercial shoot a couple weeks ago and he said he was so excited to have Carson out there and uh, have his whole family out cheering so yeah it was it was great to watch him too but let's get into our guest for today so we will be talking to Jason Day and it's we're going to talk about some great stuff. I mean, he's he's been through a lot fighting back from an injury. He wants to get to that number one spot and he's been playing progressively better over the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to having him on. He's got some really good tidbits that he kind of shared with us um, at the shoot. Um, and so um, let's just get right into it and welcome Jason Day on. Today we are welcoming an Aussie onto our show, former world number one, major champion, the 2015 PGA champion to be exact, 17 professional victories later, and so much more. Jason Day, welcome to another golf podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so how would you analyze your game this past PGA Tour season? Uh, last season, it was a work in progress. The early part of this season, because of the wraparound season, um, I think I'm 31st on the FedEx, so it's 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 a good start to the to this season, which has been nice. But I'm still constantly working on body, constantly working on the golf swing. I was literally talking to Tiger about it about 10 minutes ago, um, picking his brain because I'm like, man, I I I have to because uh, I have my my coach Chris Como has also worked with Tiger, and um, you know I just had to pick his brain, but. I think the game is showing a lot of good signs. The putting's coming around nicely. The short game's like, I mean, the putting and, and, and short game were probably the two things that were holding me back, you know, this this past fall, because I actually hit it pretty good. Um, but overall, the game seems pretty good. I'm really motivated to try and uh, make a really good push. I want to I want to get back in the winner's circle. Another goal is to get back to number one in the world again. So I feel healthy, I feel good. That's great, and there's a, Feel there's so many stats out there. Right. What what are the specific things you mentioned putting and chipping? Right. But when you're looking at your stat sheet, mm. what what are the specific things that you're um, taking notes on? Right. So I would say that like my my putting is has been pretty pretty average. It's been subpar actually because um, I've always been known for a really good putter, and that was always my strength. So when you take that out of 
when you don't putt as well, there's just less opportunities for you. And when I don't have an, a, as many opportunities, like I used to nearly lead birdie average pretty much nearly every year. So you're like looking at five, around five birdies around. And if you can do that, um, you know, obviously that yields a lot of low scores. So um, I just need to, I actually was working on my putting last week and, and realized uh, it was more of a tempo issue. Um, than anything else. I thought it was like an aiming issue. I felt like I didn't know where I was aiming. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I got it on a, uh, I can't remember what the what the system was, but I, I, I was in, in this place and I was on the system. I was hitting some parts and I was trying to figure out whether it was my read, what, was it my my actual face angle at impact? Was it my aiming? Was it, was it just speed and tempo? So essentially it was just uh, speed and tempo. I was actually hitting the ball instead of just kind of um, having this kind of gradual, like, so it looks like someone decels. If you look at like a Jordan Spieth or someone like that, like they take a longer backswing and kind of like slower into the swing and then, yeah, and I, into the ball. I, I, I just, I, I feel like things are moving in the right direction in that, in that sense. Yeah, if you could, um, if you could tell rookie Jason Day, some of the knowledge you have now, what were right. some things that you could go back and be like, yeah, those are some things I wish I knew back then. Oh, man, wouldn't it be great to have the experience? <laughs> um, I would say that stay the path, don't uh, look at other players and look at their strengths as much as what you need in your game. Um, slowly improve, like, but don't all the outside noise, just forget about it. Like, just stay on your path, you know? There was some times where I'd be sitting there and I'd, I'd talk to some guys and they would say that I wasn't very good in this or I wasn't, uh, like, I wasn't good in that or I'd see someone, I'd be like, I need to get better in that in that like aspect of my game. And uh, I should have just stuck with the, the, the path that I was on because I was actually, it was... I was a lot closer than what I thought. So right. just kind of stay out of your own way and, and, and like to a certain degree and then just stay on your path. Mm-hmm. Does a support team, having a really good support team help with that? Yeah, it does. Um, you have to have, you have to have the, the right people around you because if you don't have the right people around you and they're pulling in all different directions, then you won't be able to achieve your goals. So when there's a little bit of chaos amongst the team that is uh you can kind of get away with it for a little bit but then after a while um it all catches up to you and then you know it just it's really difficult to play yourself out of it so when you're as a leader of of like the pack and you're trying to you're essentially the ceo of, of your own corporation you're trying to make sure that hey i'm making i'm trying to make the best decisions for me so that future jason will play better um, and it's really difficult. It takes a lot of, it, there's a lot of trial and error in finding the right person, but I feel like, you know, the team that I have now, I've, I've found like a good mix and it's been, yeah. been solid. Speaking of having the right people around, tell us a little bit about like kind of your family life. You're obviously a big family guy yeah. and how Ohio came into your life. I mean, you're obviously from Australia. How did yeah. you end up in Ohio? It's pretty simple. My wife's from Ohio. <laughs> All right, <there laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I was playing with Kid Rock the other day. And he was literally the first guy that's ever, because he asked me like where, where I lived, and I said Columbus, Ohio. And he goes, hold on, let me stop you. He goes, it was a girl, wasn't it? And he was the first person. Everyone usually asks me like, hey, why, like, why aren't you in Florida? Why aren't you in Texas or like Arizona? And I say, typically say it's my wife. And um, it was actually my idea to move back to Ohio. So 
uh, we were living in Texas at the time and then, you know, I thought it was, we were thinking about starting, you know, a family and I'm like, you know, we have no real friends in Texas. We had friends, but we, none of her family was there. My, my, my mum and my sisters were back home in Australia. So we moved up to Ohio and there's a lot of good golf courses up in Ohio. The only time is right now <laughs> where it's winter and it's cold and or we're coming into winter, but like it's it's just freezing up there. You can't do any golf other than just inside simulator work. So yeah. um, let's talk a little bit of golf ball. Um, yeah. You obviously switched to the Bridgestone ball uh, in the last year or so. Yeah. Tell us like how that came about and what were some things that the guy you mentioned just a second ago, Tiger, did that kind of piqued your interest about the golf ball. Well, Tiger's the best or one of the best players to ever live. So, <laughs> and I played a few rounds, you know, with him, tournament rounds, and um, it was just it was just strange. We'd hit it in a couple of areas where we were together, and he his shots were just so much easier to play than the shots I had to play. Mm-hmm. It was just there was no. I felt like the shots that I was asked to call to to actually hit. And, and and produce were really difficult shots whereas he just kind of played it pretty dead simple and it was we he was able to right. have that playability definitely around the around the greens more so you know and, he, and obviously he didn't really like I mean when I was playing with him he didn't really give up much distance at all like I mean we were pretty much neck and neck with the drives right. and stuff I mean obviously he's always been pretty pretty strong and pretty right. powerful guy but um yeah, I mean, it was amazing to, to see certain shots that he hit, and I'm like, man, he just made that look so easy. He didn't really have to do much with the technique to try and, because everyone knows, every player knows that when you when you get out there, there's certain shots you're like, ooh, that's, that's tough, and you have to change your technique and hit certain shots, and you're just like, wow, that's that's unbelievable. His ball was just like, like yeah, next to the pin. Yeah. So, long story short, I, was, I, I started playing the BXS, and, I found my way into the BX, so uh, I absolutely love the ball. I had to essentially get used. To, I was telling Chris just before I said I had to get used to how it reacts out of the rough. It doesn't. You don't get the flyers as much out of the rough. Every now and then you might get one where it's just sitting perfect, and you're like, okay, it's going to fly. Mm-hmm. But typically, like um, you know, I, I would play. You know, most of the time it would come out like kind of on a nice flight and spin more. So, I mean, that was tremendous. Yeah, it's, it was perfect because like you're sitting there going, and you can actually be aggressive out of the rough. Whereas in like, sometimes you're like, oh, I'll get to hit it 30 feet to the right of the pin and, yeah. and put across. So, Take and then, move on. Yeah. yeah. And then the side breezes, man, like I think, like there could be like a 10, 15 mile an hour breeze. My, you know, the, 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 the ball that I was using before, like I'd have to start it out way right or way left. And like it, once it got to the apex, it would just like kind of fall. And I got so used to seeing that. Mm-hmm. And once I got to the to the Bridgestone, it was just, the stability was off the charts. Like, I mean, just like the side breeze, it just stays so much straighter. And it actually took me a good 10 to 12 months to at least get used to that, yeah, seeing yeah. that, know that like I could hit a little bit tighter to, mm-hmm. to the target. At what point are you hitting shots and determining, okay, is this a is this a ball thing or a club thing or is this a swing aspect? Are, are you saying in a sense like um, like you were saying how you were watching Tiger hit shots and you said it just looked so easy the way he was doing that yeah. and was was that the moment where you were like maybe I switch to a different ball and try? Well, it out? yeah, essentially when when someone is playing a complicated shot and makes it look very very simple, that's typically when you go that person has 
technology or you know equipment that is just far superior than what I've got right now. Right. But um, it was it was just amazing. I remember there was just two two shots that he hit around the greens, and it was. And that's essentially why he could be so aggressive, is because mm -hmm. he played a spinnier ball, and everyone knows he played a spinnier ball. He's like from the old school way of playing Ballata, golf. Yeah, yeah, ballada balls and all that stuff. So he would have like X100s pushed all the way through on his irons. Like he tried to take spin off, but he would put spin back on with right. his ball. Yep. In that, with that being said, you could be super, super aggressive with your irons. Mm -hmm. And if you short side yourself, you got such a soft ball mm -hmm. that you can still yeah. hit the shot that is an easier shot compared to if you had a harder ball. So I was sitting, I'm like, man, I, I need to, I need to get in on that because it's it just like, I, even though I, I played some great golf with, with the stuff that I did play with, I just felt like I, I've always been a, a pretty naturally aggressive guy. Right. Um, I just, yeah, I don't know. Like, I just felt like I, that could give me more uh, benefit playing, playing golf when I could be just a little bit more aggressive. Mm -hmm. What's the scenario like when you're watching Tiger and he hits a shot and you're like, man, you kind of have that envious like, oh. yeah. wow, I, I, I wish I, wish, I had that in my bag. I wish, I just wish I, I watched him back in like early 2000s. That would have been unbelievable. But uh, you know, I mean, the st guy still has it. I mean, I was yeah. over there watching him hit shots, taking videos on my phone, man. <laughs> like I can't stop. I, don't, I, I told him, I said, look, I've got thousands, no, not thousands, but I've got so many videos of his swing on, and I was, that's why I was picking his brain about the golf swing. Um, it's just, yeah, he's like, I was, and now, and granted, I, I was talking to Adam Scott about this, and I said, like, what, why was Tiger so good? And he just he goes, he did everything in every category, he just did everything better than everyone else. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's just really difficult to have. And that's why he was so dominant for 13 years. He was number one in the world. When you're number one in the world, typically you have, you know, some strengths. But, and, and most of the time you're really good all around. Mm -hmm. To a certain degree, you're really right. good around. You can have some weaknesses, just slight weaknesses. But you can't be like outside the top 50 or outside the top 100 in, in yeah. certain categories. You got a lot of A pluses, but then a lot of B minuses. Yeah, B he just, he just did category. everything really, really yeah. good for a long time. A plus across the board. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Essentially, essentially, that's what it was. So, you know, being number one, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was difficult because, and I, I, he did it so easy for a long time. And then there's guys that make it look easy out there, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool to watch him hit some balls. Yes. Speaking of number one in the world, I got a question about that. Like, yeah. you obviously were number one in the world. We've got a lot of guys on our staff that were, like. What was it like when that moment happened? Did you kind of know, or did it kind of naturally happen because you're playing well? Yeah. Or was it something you were looking really forward to? So, I don't know. It was like, it's... I knew that it was. I was leading into some good golf. I I think I was playing the BMW Championship, and they said, if you win this week, you get to number one in the world. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And I ended up winning that week, but it was like... My, it's funny because you have to look at goals um, differently. Like it's almost like you have a goal, but you have to push through the goal. So if you're trying to achieve a goal, you sometimes people can overthink when they have the opportunity to 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 achieve that goal. Right. So you like you know that it's in the back of your head. But at that time, I was playing such a good golf. I didn't like. I'm like, okay, just put that aside. If I play really good it'll golf, happen, it'll happen it. naturally. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. So and. That's kind of what essentially happened. I just was coming off real, I think I, that was my fourth, I can't remember, fourth win in six weeks. So it was yeah, like, 
<laughs> yeah, it was my fourth win in six weeks. I, I, I go back to back. I won the Barclays and then I, I go ahead and win the P, uh, the BMW. And uh, as soon as that happened, that was always, that was actually the number one thing that I wanted uh, more than anything else was to be number one in the world. Mm. Yeah, obviously, I want to win Augusta and, and, and the Masters and, sure. and get a green jacket. Yeah, yeah. But being number one, number one in the world was on the top of my list. Yeah. yeah, not a, not a lot of people have been number one. It's still yeah. a small graphic. You see all the names, and you kind of think it's a lot of people, but it's really not. It's no. not a lot of people who's done it since you know the early '80s when they yeah. started keeping up with it. Yeah, is it harder? What's the difference between in mindset when you're chasing to be number one, and then when you're protecting, if you must say, that what number yeah. one spot? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There is different mindsets, but like I mean, the the problem that I ran into is that I felt like I needed to work harder and harder and harder to, to keep number one and I just essentially burnt myself out and I, I don't have a problem with working hard I've always worked hard my entire life um, like many other guys so but the thing was is that I just in my mind I did th- certain things different because we all work pretty hard and majority of the guys are out there working pretty hard and this is w- leading into the chase of, of becoming number one in the world I ate, <laughs> I ate chicken and broccoli pretty much for every meal for like two <laughs> years straight. You know what I mean? And in my mind, even though that may not have been the right diet for me or whatever it was, I were, in my mind, I've convinced myself that I, no one else is doing this. I'm working harder than everyone else. Right. No one else is doing that. And that was the same thing with the gym. I would do two workouts a day. On top of the practice that I was doing, I mean, I was working... 10 plus hours every single day, going back, spending a little bit of time with my family, seeing them for a little bit, going to sleep, waking up, doing the exact same thing the next day. So there was, there was little things that I felt like I could separate myself from the next guy off the golf course that would essentially push me towards that goal, right. which definitely helped. But also, um, you could say that it brought some injuries as well later later down the road. So it was like, ugh, it was teetering, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, it's difficult to, looking back on it, would I do it again to get to number one? Yeah, I would do it again. If that was like my, what the way that I was, you know, where I, I thought was to get to number one, if I hindsight, like if I was, if I knew now what, like, you know, what I didn't know then, like I, I would not do it the way that I did it. But like if getting to number one meant that I had to do that, then I would do it every single time. Mm-hmm. But. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, totally. it's it's so interesting too, as athletes, we're always pushing ourselves and mm. then when we are playing well, I remember in the off season, I was asking my coach, working on some swing stuff and I, and I asked, I asked, I said, okay, how much should I be doing? What, like, am I doing enough or, or, right. or how, how should I be changing? And they said, you need to be doing exactly what you're doing. Mm. Keep it efficient. Right. You're, you're playing well right. and don't, don't think you need to hit 200 balls because then you're going to end up getting into some technique stuff and then go back into old habits but it's it's a really fine line but kind of speaking of athlete identity um obviously as athletes our sport is such a big part of of our life and when there are times where we can't compete in our sport for example for an injury Mm. um it it's just really hard like knock on wood I, I haven't had a severe injury that's taken me out for weeks but yeah. I've seen my teammates go through it and it's horrible it's horrible yeah. to watch someone who loves the game so much and has such a passion for it and can't compete yeah um, h- how did you mm. how did you deal with that I mean 
it's it's it, it you go through uh, different ty- uh, types of emotion. Um, depression was is one big factor because as athletes you think that um, uh, your world revolves around the sport you play and that's what identifies you even though it doesn't but the way that like we think it it feels like it does so again having injuries and and going through and just like not knowing like what is why is it happening i remember how, like from 2014 to 2017 i had like 15 mris on, on on my back and i'm just like trying to understand like what the frick is going on yeah. and um and i'm just trying to like I'm trying to figure out through my team, like, why is this happening? Like, how do I, what do I need to do to like, and like, I mean, I was severely depressed with, you know, not being able to compete. And then on top of it, when you do come out and compete and you have to play and you're trying to get on tour, feel good for a day and then be back. And and, and at that time I was, I was literally going, okay, if I can just show up to the tournament, get through Monday through Wednesday and don't do any practice. Maybe if I'm playing the Pro-Am, play the Pro-Am and just try and uh, like scrape through that. And then Thursday through Friday, if I can play decent, then I make the cut I mean, make the cut and play the weekend. Like when you go from being the best in the world to doing that, then, and you're playing, you know where you've been and you know that you've yeah. been the best in the world and you've been, you know, you, you, you've been a super competitive person. Like it severely depresses me because like, or it, it did depress me a lot because I, I would, I would just like, I remember talking to my wife about it all the time. I just, I, I didn't know, I didn't know where to turn, what to do, and um, every, every day I wake up in massive amounts of pain. And, um, but you know, like it was a journey, and now I feel like I'm like finding my way out of it. Like I've changed my swing, I've changed the way that my body works. Um, my trainers have been great, and like I'm, I'm finding some like good, you know positive movement forward but it's uh it, it can be a dark times because you're playing against the best players in the world and it feels like you got two hands tied behind your back right yeah that's tough well it's good to see that you're getting back to some form yeah. and playing real good and you know we've taken enough of your time so thank you so yeah. much for stopping in and telling us some great stories and we appreciate it and best of luck going Thanks. forward appreciate it thank you guys thanks thank you. jason man that was so fun to talk to jason he really touched on so many key points that so many people can relate to and understand. And one of the big things he mentioned early on was forgetting about that outside noise when he was on tour, just starting and really staying on his path. He said it was easy to get advice from what other people were doing. Hey, Jason, you should change this or you should you should do this, but really focusing on his journey. And I think that's something that, in my experience, so many veteran players will tell young golfers, and I'm sure it expands to other sports as well, but how important it is to stay what you know, what you know, make you successful. And so I thought that was just really good advice for just other athletes and other six people who are driven in their careers to listen to right it's so hard to do across every level up from his at the elite level on down to like everyday joe golfers like myself i see my buddy get up there and hit like a nice high draw and i'm like well i should do that on this hole rather than like the two irons in my hand and i'm gonna just kind of bunt one out there it's so hard to stick with your game plan when you see somebody doing something else that 
you might think maybe that's a little bit better than the plan I'm going to do. And I've definitely fell victim to that and, and influenced by someone else's shot or some cool manipulating shot they've hit. So it, it's hard to do. And I can understand I'm not an elite level athlete, but I can understand what he's saying. He is, and he would see somebody else doing something slightly different than what he was doing. And he would say, oh, I can do that. And I'm going to put that into my game and instantly start hitting a cut stinger, you know, 280 yards when maybe that's not well adjusted for his attack angle to the ball or something like that. So I can un- I can kind of understand what he was trying to say there for sure. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's such a good point, Adam, that it does translate to the everyday golfer. I mean, how many, there's so many people <laughs> that have come up to me and, oh, Amelia, what, what putter do you have? Or that's a ping driver. And, you know, the, the next week, I, I can attest to this. They have a, a very similar, if not the same putter that I right. have and people changing all kinds of stuff based on what other people are doing. So very interesting to think about. I also think another uh, challenge and experience that Jason had being former number one in the world is the difference between chasing that number one spot and then actually protecting it. He said that oh, yeah. yeah, when he became number one, he had won four tournaments in the last six weeks. So when people said, hey, when you win the BMW or if you win the BMW, you're going to be number one in the world. And it was easy for him to put it behind because he had just been playing so well. And then once he got that number one spot, which he said he had wanted more than anything else, you start to think about maybe I need to work harder or maybe I need to you know, eat cleaner, work out more, and it can lead to some unhealthy behavior. Yeah. How much broccoli and chicken can you eat (laughs) to have to stay at number one in the world? I don't know if I'm capable of doing that, but yeah, it was interesting hearing him say how like he felt like he needed to keep like going Mm -hmm. and and pushing and, you know, ultimately that's something you got to decide if you're going to be at that elite level and and kudos to him to kind of keeping that up. And it was really cool hearing him saying that he would he would do it again, yeah. you know, even after all the stuff he's been through, like to be there and to push and try to get to number one in the world. We've heard Rory talk about it before is he knows what it means to kind of push to get to number one in the world. And it's tough. Mm-hmm. So it was it was very, very awesome to hear it coming from a different perspective from a guy like Jason and um and kind of pushing towards that. Yeah, especially because. When athletes reach those milestones, especially something like world number one, the happiness and joy that comes from it is all the hard work and and pain and challenges you went through to get there. So it makes sense right. that even though he went through a lot, he would do it all again. But one thing, Adam, that I wanted to ask you about was Jason was talking about his when he changed the Bridgestone ball and his experience with, you know, what ball worked best for him. And he talked about being a more aggressive player and he decided to go with a ball that has more spin so he can be more aggressive. Right. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah. So like he's, he talked to us kind of when that transition was happening of the ball and working between the X and the XS. And what that basically means is he felt like he could be more aggressive on the style of shot he could hit to make it stop at a certain position. Like he mentioned one tournament to where Tiger had a shot and they were basically right next to each other. And it was a short-sided par five over a bunker tight pin. And they had to hit this like 54, 56 yard shot. And Tiger hits this like low 
nipper that you know his trajectory is super low even on a 50 yard shot and it just bit like instantly by the hole you know snapped back a little bit and he had like a tap in birdie he said for me to hit that shot i needed to kind of lean back and like hit almost like a semi-flop because i didn't have a ball that had enough spin to do that and so he said i had to try to manipulate my shot and hit an actual tougher shot than what tiger had to hit because his ball was spinnier so he mentioned that to us and he was just excited that he could hit more aggressive shots like tiger could hit a lower spinnier shot put more spin on the ball because he knew that would stop it and that way he would put more spin and make that ball like bite harder rather than having to manipulate his swing to get the ball close to the hole so that's kind of what he means by being more aggressive and some of the things that we put into the ball too allows you to hit the ball more aggressively like we put in um modifiers in in the cover that way the impact at a slower speed you know, makes it become softer and you can actually be more aggressive. Like Tiger's mentioned it and it's hard to kind of explain, but he actually wants to feel like he needs to hit the ball harder around the greens with his wedge to make it go. So he says he wants the cover to be slower. It's a weird thing to say, but he says he wants the cover to feel slower to where he has to hit it harder to put more spin on it and to make it bite more. So I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense, but from a R&D perspective, it just means you can be more aggressive and, and hit it a little harder and fly it to the hole and make it bite rather than like hitting it softer and letting it roll out to the hole and trying to get it perfectly timed of how much spin you put on it versus how much roll you put on the end. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. One, how counterintuitive golf can be sometimes, but I, <laughs> yes. I feel I am just learning so much about how balls are made and how balls are made for specific people and specific games since I've been with Bridgestone. And for me, my coaches will attest to this, but I'm I'm more of an aggressive player and I play the RXS and I've noticed around the greens, this was also something that Jason said, when you're an aggressive player and you short side yourself, if you have a ball that you can control your spin with, even if you short side yourself, you'll be able to chip it close because it has that appropriate spin. And I've noticed a significant difference when I've short sided myself with the RXS that I can still get the ball very close to the hole and it's very manageable because it has that spin that I can control well. Yeah, absolutely. There's, It's a game plan that goes back to the fairway. If you know that you have a ball that could spin around the greens and if you do short side yourself, you feel more confident that you can get up and down, then it'll open you up in the fairway to hit more shots that are more aggressively to the pin. And, you know, obviously if you're more aggressive, you can make more birdies, but it can kind of trickle back to your approach shot and where you play from the fairway. If you know your your short game's on and you can kind of get up and down. So that's a good thing about that reactive IQ cover is you can be a little bit more aggressive on those shots around the green. Mm-hmm. And transitioning to the last thing we talked about with Jason, and he really opened up when I asked him about, you know, his athlete identity and dealing with an injury. And right. he opened up about experiencing depressive symptoms and how it can be really, really frustrating when you when you don't feel well and you don't know why it's happening and you've been number one in the world. And then all of a sudden you're just trying to play tournaments to make your contract numbers yeah yeah jason is such an open and candid person 
talking to him. He's I always say he's just like such a sweetheart when you're talking to him about the ball and when you're trying to get him to do something on the set, you know, and he's just all about it. And, you know, hearing him kind of open up and talk about that, it, it puts a little bit of different perspective of what he kind of went through back then. And, and it was really cool to hear him talk about some of those things, but it, it's great to see his game kind of on the upswing here. He had a great, you know, 2020 season. He's he's ranked pretty well in the FedEx Cup right now. Um, he had a very close call at Torrey Pines, which is a very difficult course earlier last year. He finished second and was right there at the end. So it's good to see his game trending up. And you know, he talked about getting uh, more wins under his belt. And, you know, if the putting can kind of get there, he talked about that's one thing. He used to be his huge strength. He felt like he's hit the ball well this past season. So when that putting comes around, you know, his ball striking's there. He's hitting the ball so well. He's still got plenty of distance and um, plenty of time on the clock to play some really well golf. So we're, we're expecting him to come back and have a really great 2023 campaign. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, just this year, even with subpar putting, as he mentioned, a T8, a T11, and a T16 this year. like yeah. And like you said, you know, sitting very well in the FedEx Cup. So I think as long as he can stay healthy and he feels that he's progressing in that way, I, I think we're going to see him win very soon. Yeah, I'm excited about seeing his season coming up and kind of the rest of his career. He's just an awesome guy. But it was so great talking to him. It was so good. The shoot, we've got a lot of things going on. We've got a lot of good candidates coming up on the pod, and we're really excited on what kind of is coming down the road from a podcast perspective. So, guys, just hang on. we got a lot of good guests coming up soon, and, and we'll be seeing you, and hopefully you're listening in the future. Thanks for listening to another golf podcast presented by Bridgestone. Until next time. Another golf podcast is presented by Bridgestone's new line of Tour B golf balls with a Reactive IQ cover. Reactive IQ is a smart cover technology that reacts to the force of impact. It rebounds quickly on tee shots, delivering explosive velocity and increased distance. And around the green, the Reactive IQ cover stays on the face longer, providing more spin and control. Bridgestone Golf is the pioneer and industry leader in ball fitting, and the four new models of Tour B are designed to ensure every golfer is playing the right ball for their game. The Tour BX and XS models are ideal for players with driver swing speeds over 105 miles per hour, and the RX and RXS were created for golfers with driver swing speeds under 105 miles per hour. To find the right ball for your game, go to BridgestoneGolf.com and click Find My Ball to go through the online ball selector guide. Bridgestone Golf, the number one ball fitter in golf. <laughs>